My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> and you're listening to episode 89 of Cinepunk. You have not laughed at my radio voice in a long time. It's so good, dude. It's no, so good. it's not good. <laughs> I'm imagining you with like a pinky ring and a disco. Because uh, the uh, listeners, I don't know if you know, we're doing this Skype thing again. That's what's happening. You know what I mean? Here's the thing. The tr- The reality of the situation is Liam and I live two hours apart from each other. It's 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 far, and you know we used to love you enough that I would try. <laughs> no, <laughs> what's really happening is we looked at our numbers and we realized that out of twelve months, we recorded fourteen episodes, and we just feel my like content- my contention being that fourteen episodes is one a month plus two. But go on. That's exactly right. When our goal, our minimum. Is two a month. That's what we promised yeah. people. So one a month is clearly half of what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you so, know what? There, there's a saying though, Liam. What's there's that? There's a saying, what and I believe saying? it is a. I believe it's attributed to Albert Einstein in uh, his uh, essay on relativity, wherein he says, "Quality, not quantity, <laughs> in podcasting." Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That he doesn't say that. But uh, so we are we're <laughs> skyping, and you know, you know, there's some concern are are on our ends about the sound quality. We trust our new uh, our new editor. Big props to Jacob Roberts. He's the man. Follow him on the Twitter x Jacob Roberts x. It's not straight edge though, but it's fine. Um, Wait a minute, is that another x LVAC x type scenario? Yeah, it really is. It's funny because wow. because. Uh, because on horror business, Justin made a big deal out of it. Was like, of course, Jacob's probably straight, blah, blah, blah. and he's not. So I felt bad. <laughs> you can cut that part out, Jacob, if you want. Anyways, um, big ups to Jacob for uh, making our sound silky smooth. But of course, it's it's just not quite as good when we're not in the same room. So we apologize for that. But we do want to get more episodes out there. So we're we're skyping it up tonight. I will say, uh, speaking of my horror business co-host Justin Lore, he has this like desk mic stand that he left here so i'm using it and i understand why he uses it it feels very professional i feel very professional it's not that dope but it's dope enough dope enough i'll send you a photo you'll you'll get it this is this is what it means to skype we have to send each other photos gosh what's going on with you man how have you been i've been busy man you know just doing a lot of stuff lately um but i'm cool with it I went to Florida for my uh, old roommate from college's wedding, my college roommate's wedding, uh, my man Gio Padilla and the lovely Becky Jones. They got married in Florida, in Orlando, and uh, I was gifted the opportunity to be the best man for the ceremony. Wow. And, um, it was cool. Florida was cold. I packed shorts, and we got there, and it was 50 degrees. And I was like, this is some horse shit right here. I don't under, this is this is the it, it's not even worth if I lived in Florida and winter came I would just go to the north I go somewhere that's supposed to be cold and just be like at least it's supposed to be cold you know what I mean like yeah. what's the point of even being in Florida if it's going to be 50 degrees that's just a bummer it just it felt it it felt incorrect incorrect Florida you've done right. me incorrectly but um the wedding was really nice it was outdoors and uh, Gio got me a barong. It was a Filipino, like, you know, he wore a barong that was uh, modeled after <laughs> um, the Black Panther. And mine looked a little bit not so Black Panther-y, but uh, more if you imagine 
uh, karate expert, perhaps. Sure. Which sure. is which is not to say it didn't look awesome because it did. But um, I have I actually have a question for you. Go not ahead. To ruin your your wedding story here, but it's it's a Filipino related question, and I, and I wanted to ask you about this. I know a Filipino or two. Go ahead with your question, Liam. So I stopped at barbecue place today. Uh huh. Is built as a, as a Portuguese truckistic or whatever the word is in Portuguese. This is pork chops barbecue, Portuguese whatever the word is in Portuguese. I go in and there's a lot of Brazil shit, which is not a surprise, you know. Uh-huh. Brazil was part of the Portuguese colonial, you know, empire, so you know it makes sense that a Portuguese barbecue would be Brazilian. I go up to the counter, a young lady working the register, probably Filipino. I didn't have her background in front of me. Okay. But I just got a re- I got a real Filipino vibe. Then uh, the chef comes up. My man's also Filipino. And I know that this dude was probably Filipino because he had your uncle's accent. Right. You know what I mean? Right, right. He had that he had the accent. Then two more dudes come out, also Filipino. In fact, the only people person working there who wasn't Filipino was the guy on the actual grill. What dude? So that was weird. Uh then I look at the menu and it's you know, it's all bar it's Brazilian barbecue, except for there's some egg rolls on there. That was a little weird. Some egg rolls. And there was some Hawaiian specific dishes, which I thought if you're Brazilian, why would you have wine dishes? And suddenly I'm thinking, is there suddenly or is there some significant population of Filipinos in Brazil that would then move to New Jersey and open a Brazilian barbecue? I don't know. <laughs> it's weird, yeah, right? Yeah. It was just strange to me. I'm like, why are I mean, maybe they're just working there. Like they all know the owner, this Filipino family, and they or friends, a group of friends, and they all just happen to work there. But it was weird that there were both Hawaiian and Asian flourishes on the Portuguese barbecue menu. That was strange as well. Uh, uh, so it just made me think. Why they got to be family, Liam? <laughs> I said why? maybe it's just a group of friends. <laughs> I, look, if it's it doesn't, they don't have to be related. I'm just trying to understand why if if the place is owned by people who have a cultural connection to Brazilian barbecue, it would be weird that they just were like, look, none of these Filipinos we hired know each other, but we only work with Filipinos. So there you go. <laughs> you know, it, it was strange. Uh, it was a little strange. I don't know how far back you go, listeners, but um, I don't know if you listen to Liam's other show, which is called it's with our friend Doug Tilly. And it is called Eric Roberts is the fucking man. And uh, true. Doug had hinted a little bit about uh, Liam's nationalistic tendency. And I gotta say, oh, get out of my face! Know, Stop of, it! I'll play it. I'll play it. I'll say it is fun being friends with Doug Tilly. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. It is. It is actually. A lot I fun. do not know what the connection between the Filipino and the Brazilian, the uh, the Brazilian barbecue it, of which you speak. I, I was just surprised. I was and, uh, very what, surprised. Uh, you know what? Also, what is this Hawaiian business you're talking about? What do they have on there? Well. Well, uh, they had very specific like Hawaiian pulled pork dishes, and they had a couple like of they Hawaiian had like Kalua pig dishes. or something. Was it Kalua pig? Yeah. God damn. Yeah, like Did that. you get down with that Kalua pig though? No, I just got the ribs. I wanted to test out their barbecue. Ah, how was it? It's okay. good. It's good. It's good. I got I got ribs. I got black beans, and I got plantains. <laughs> so listen, back to my Florida story. The wedding. Sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. Dude, Gio, like, okay, so we did the ceremony in the backyard of uh, his now father and mother-in-law's, right? Becky's parents' house. And it was cool. It was like, you know, uh, it was it was at, at um, dusk. Sure. It was well lit, you know? And um, 
we did the ceremony. Gio had the the ring bearers were his two uh, German shepherds that are, are really well trained and everything. So it was kind of cool and cute. And uh, we did really we, we it was a good it was a good ceremony. It's real short, sweet, to the point. And then um, when they were announcing, you know, Gio and Becky for the first time, ladies and gentlemen, and like you know, you come out while everyone dances and all that stuff. They came out on a dirt bike in a like on a motorcycle. It was probably the closest I'll get to seeing a superhero something something happen. Just say, and then uh, <laughs> so so it's funny too because you know Gio is Filipino and he's one of my best friends, and um, he had decided to make the entire meal for the wedding kamayan. Which, if you don't know, kamayan is the Filipino tradition of eating your food with your hands off of banana leaves. Now, understand, we are all dressed to the nines in this formal event of a wedding, and now we have to eat. With our hands, which for me, you know, come on, man, look at me. I know how to eat with my hands. You know what I'm saying? But uh, everybody else, there were only a, like a few other Filipinos there, and everybody else was not Filipino. But Gio, in his infinite wisdom, placed a Filipino at every table. So not only could we identify the food, but we could also t teach the non-Filipino people how to eat the rice with their hands. Look at you, look at look y'all guiding the whites, guiding the it whites was, into the into the Filipino promised land of hand eating. It was eating. amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. It was fun. I had a really good time, and of course, I love Gio and Becky very much. They're some of my very close friends. So you know, congratulations to them, and thanks for having an awesome reason for me and Melani to go to Florida, which um, Florida. we were we were there for like six days, dude. Uh, we went to Disney World. I don't know if you've uh, been to Disney World since the 80s, because I have not. I Actually, I think the last time I was there was, uh, it was like 1992. It was whenever the, the, the Gulf War began with Hussein and all that. Because I remember being there when sure, that happened. Sure. And like, oh, wow, there's war. Let's go to Disney World. But um, yeah, it was, uh, have you been to Disney recently at all? When was the last time you went? So no, I hadn't no. been there in like since I was a kid, right? And Melani really wanted to go, and Gio and Becky, like, you know, they'd taken off of work because so, they knew that we were going to be there from Philadelphia, so they're like, we want to hang out with you guys. And they were season ticket holders to Disney, right? So they're like, we should go to Disney. I was like, oh, yeah, let's fucking do that. Yo, that shit was 250 bucks for me and Melani to get in to the only the one park. There are, like, four parks or something like this. And, man, that shit is cost-inhibitive, sir. It is expensive to go see the fucking mouse. But we did it because, you know, I love my baby. I love Gio and Becky. I, was, I can't believe yeah, it's that. I cannot believe so that much money. money. I I was already super sketchy about people going to Disney World because so many people I know go there like once a year, and these are people who I think of as like not mainstream kind of people. But they're stoked to go at least once a year to Disney World. I'm like, well, maybe they know something I don't. But now that I know they're dropping that kind of cash to go to Disney World, I'm like very. Well, here's the thing, man. Thing. Uh, I like I said, I had gone when I was a child. And there was this and this huge emotional resonance. You understand? Like I was standing in places was like, oh, I remember standing here when me and my brother like threw a ball at somebody and they got real mad at us. And it was like right at this spot. And like those emotions and like those memories came flooding back. And uh, for the catharsis, I felt it was well worth the admission price. I mean, you know, it's not like we're floating in it or anything, but, you know, uh, I feel as though I felt emotionally enriched 
uh, from the experience because of these memories that we made when I was a kid. And it definitely made me real excited to share these with my niece and nephew, who are now three and six, right? And uh, sure, I don't know, sure. that, that in and of itself, I mean, it's weird. There are some things that hadn't been updated at all. Like, uh, but uh, oh, right. also the other thing is, it, you know, it's Christmas time. So, like, Disney was all Christmasified. And um, they had, so there's a ride yeah. called the Jungle yeah. Cruise, and you get in a boat. And it's like uh, the Jungle Book kind of thing, you know what I mean? And you ride around, and there are, like, elephants in there that spray you with water and these animatronic alligators. And, you know, and there's a couple weird racist caricatures in there that are still just, like, hmm, not so comfortable, you know? But uh, what they did for the Christmas holiday was they called it the Jingle Cruise instead of the Jungle Cruise. And they put Santa hats and Christmas presents all throughout the ride, and it was hilarious. Just saying. Um but yeah, it was really fun, and uh, like the you know we did the 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 hits. I have a new commitment. Yeah, what's your new commitment? Sure, sure, sure. I have a new commit. I have a new commitment to try to spend less time uh, yucking other people's <laughs> right. yum. Good you know? commitment. <laughs> so I'm just you know I don't do it that much, but I don't like it how often I am inclined to do it. So I'm not going to say anything about <laughs> yeah. like that. That's, that's how yeah, I'm going to respond no, to your story. That's fair. You're, you're totally to within your right to do so. But um, again, we did the haunted house, <laughs> and that was fun. You know, just like all that stuff. And um, I don't know. Will I do it again? Unsure. I'll be honest with you. But uh, I, I did have, again, a good time remembering some really great memories that me and my family had made a long time ago. And uh, that was that was probably the best part of the trip. To be honest with you. So other than that, Florida is whack. I don't know if you know. Like Florida, not so much fun, really. I'm not a big fan, <laughs> but you know, what do I know? So yeah. <laughs> I've I've I mean I've only been I've only been three times before. Um but n- none of them stood out to me as, as a lot of fun. I will say the the one time I was in Florida on tour, that was the first time I ever bungee jumped, <laughs> and that was cool. That's that's about the extent of my positive Florida memory. Now I've had I've had positive Florida, but like Gio lives um, there and he's my boy, and uh, I managed to get out there for a fest a couple times with a few bands here and there, and that was fun. I had good times with that, but like just going out there, just being like I'm in Florida, yo, it's like the it's like if New Jersey strip malls became a state. That's what it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. <laughs> right, but that right. said, I had a good time. Me and Melanie had a good time. You know. So it's cool. What have you been up to, Liam? What have you been doing? Um, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. Nothing at all. Certainly, certainly nothing is that is going to. Do, uh, like Are you one. finished all your Christmas prep? Um, I haven't done a damn. Th- I haven't even taken the. I haven't even taken the um decorations out of their hidey hole. You know, like the the we have a, we have a fake ash tree. Which I actually like because I don't like dealing with a real tree. I mean, I think someday I'd like to transition back to real trees, but just right now I don't have the needed brain space. I mean, it's fucking <laughs> yeah, you're just 20th, waiting, huh? And uh, we haven't we haven't taken anything. I mean, it's wrong. So there's a part of me that's okay with that because liturgically Christmas starts on Christmas. Actually, it doesn't actually start when the companies start yelling at you to buy shit. Mm-hmm. That's not really when Christmas starts, uh, but. The reality is that uh, we don't really keep the decorations up as long as we could. So as much as I like to say, like, we could just decorate on Christmas. That would be more appropriate for the holiday. The reality is, like, 
Yeah, but then it would only be up for a couple weeks because I'm not. You're not really going to do the whole. You know what I mean? You're not going to do the if whole I was three really Kings Day thing or whatever. No. No, we're not. So it's really like I'm just. It's just an issue. So it's just a bad time. Like I've been, uh, out of work trying to get stuff together to do the subbing i just started subbing i only did it like one time so there's like no money and there's a lot of stuff and you know just launched uh this rough uh, cut t-shirts project. yeah dude uh, rough cut shit is dope yeah, it should be cool um so that's a lot of that's just been a lot of prep for that and then trying to do stuff for cinepunks and we've just had a lot of episodes come out for uh, not just shows I'm on, but other shows and stuff. And we're trying to edit the first episode of Alpha Flight. So there's just a lot of little things. And not all of them are important, but uh, it was just stuff I had to get in order. So in other words, Christmas has just felt kind of on the back burner for a while now. And I just don't love that. You know, I'm very much a like a in the spirit sort of person. And, and I kind of get in the mode where if I don't have the wherewithal to like make a holiday special, I almost yeah. just want to fucking skip it, you know? Like, I get that way, not even just with Christmas, but even, like, Halloween. Like, if I have a stressful October and I don't have time to, like, get into Halloween, I kind of want to just be like, well, fuck it. I just won't do it, you know, which I never get there, but that's, like, my emotional state. So that's kind of how I feel about Christmas right now. Like, if it wasn't for Maeve and kind of the excitement of, like, her getting some presents and, I mean, she doesn't know what Christmas is. Like, she has no feeling of, like, oh, wow, Christmas is coming. She doesn't. She's too young to know. But I know on the on that day when we give her stuff those will be important well i don't know if they'll be important memories i don't know if she'll remember it, but they'll make an emotional impact on her so that part matters to me but usually i'm stoked on christmas just for my own damn self like i i like holidays i like doing holiday i'm not an anti-holiday person but it's like because i like them if i can't invest in it then i kind of just don't want to fucking do it at all which is like not great. I think it's how I treat a lot of things. It's kind of how I treat probably like writing too. Like if I'm working on a piece of writing and I can't figure out the best way to make it work, instead of just like slogging yeah. it out, I'll just be like, ah, fuck it. You know what I mean? And that's like, that's not a great way to sort of be in the world, but it's, it's, I think my like inclination. So, but luckily we do have me. So it's not like I can just yeah, say, yeah, fuck like, a Christmas, oh, Christmas Sorry, canceled. We're not doing it. Like, just, yeah, I just can't do that, you know? But it is like, Really soon, and it doesn't help that you it's know like Susie's a time pastor, for her. so this is like a really busy time for. Oh yeah, she's stressed. She looks. She's she's just like worn out. And I, you know, I try to like make time for her to like take naps and relax. And I'm trying to do more stuff around the house so she's not stressed out. Um, you know, like I cook, but like you know, I've tried to be doing the laundry and clean up, and you know, just whatever I can do to like make her be able to just focus on work, but you know it's still a lot and then you know we don't have regular sleep schedules because of having a baby so it's just uh it's just uh not exactly like christmas joy around here per se but you know even the end of the year i kind of like because i've i don't i don't like the idea of you know sometimes people send us their like end of year lists and they're just sort of like what they saw this year and you know that's fine like i'm glad people want to share with us but for me like i just can't do that like i'm like I need to see this these yeah. movies before I even think about an end of the year list. And before I start doing that, that's just stress. Like, I'm like, fuck this. I shouldn't even do a list because it's just too much work. But then when I actually do the work of, like, I'm just going to keep watching, you know, make time to watch movies, it, like, 
is actually really joyful because a lot of movies I've yeah. Have you been have you been able to watch really, a lot of really movies great. lately so on, on this year end bit? Oh, oh yes. I mean, it's not a lot for normal. I've been able to watch what would normally be a normal amount of yeah, movies. Yeah, hey but man, for me, that's a lot of movies, uh, and it's. And stuff that's available to me to watch at home too. So like all the stuff that's in theaters right now that people are talking about, well, you know, I haven't been really been able to see. But hey, before we get into our uh, patented feature <laughs> where we talk about what we have been able to do lately, uh, we need to take a moment to say uh, a very special thank you. First and foremost, every episode of Cinepunks and Harvests and Blacks and Dispatches and Wine and Cheese and Love as Philly and anything else on the website is brought to you by our. And the mandate is brought to you by yes, our amazing Patreon supporters. Hi, everybody on Patreon. We've been pr- we've been promising you extra Patreon content <laughs> for years, and it still hasn't happened. But as you can hear, we're, we're just we're still really busy. But I'm really determined to make it happen. Uh, I know Nick Slotchek, who is great, has stuff uh, that he can share. The pro- what the problem we ran into, just so you guys know, we're trying to set up a RSS feed. Patreon lets you set up an RSS feed, so it'll be a separate podcast feed that's just for you. So it's like it'll come up in your podcatcher as it's like almost like another show, and it'll just be all the Patreon content for for y'all. Uh, I do it this for Axe Brian. They have Patreon only stuff. It's really good. So in order to do that, you have to upload those files directly to Patreon. So that's the holdup with some of the Nick interviews is that yeah. um, I didn't have the files. So whatever you didn't need to know that but a little <laughs> little you know inside baseball for you uh and then uh not only is it our our uh patreon subscribers but also every episode is brought to you by our friends at lehigh valley of procreations uh i'm now doubly indebted to them not just for uh their support of cinepunks and all the great merch they've done for us but uh we were very happy to uh count on them as our printers for rough cut uh, we have we don't have any shirts yet. We're gonna see how the pre pre order does and how many we need to get. But uh, we're committed to doing that at Lehigh Valley Barrel Creations because they are the best. Uh, we good think people. they're really great. They do great work. They're fun to work with. Uh, we think, yeah, we think you should support them as well. So the website for that is xlvacx.com. Head on over, order something, <laughs> make something happen, get some hoodies. Yo, is is Rough Cut gonna be making hoodies? underwear i don't fucking know get some because that shit is hard style well so so here's the deal we're we're gonna base everything on the numbers so we drop two designs we'll see how they sell if they do well then we'll come up with the next two pretty quick here uh and then as far as offering a variety of of uh clothing it'll just be depending on how sales are doing if we're just you know doing a few shirts here and there it's not worth expanding it to other kinds of apparel but if like the shirts are killing it then yeah we're gonna fucking add some, right add some other stuff why not yeah you know? that's awesome that'd be really cool so yo i we'll love both you guys so much we're you know just getting well, our love for haunt love we're on the show is is very great as he's been a, a guest here before but you know you guys are two awesome dudes and i love you guys both so much so good luck yeah Thank you so much. So let me say that. So, A, thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. If you don't support us on Patreon, go check it out. I mean, we also love you if you subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Cinepunks. Follow, follow us on Instagram at Cinepunks. Check us out on Facebook. All that stuff matters. But we really love people who support us on Patreon because they're putting money into this into this, and it, and it really helps. Uh, also, check out 
xlvacx.com for all your screen printing needs get something screen printed and finally just for me because this will help me not go crazy and maybe be able to buy presents this christmas is uh you know go get some shirt the rough cut it's uh the shirts that i think are pretty reasonably priced we have a deal if you get both designs uh you get some money off of that i think that's pretty good um and i think the designs are great and that's all hot love uh really this is this is a partnership where um he's doing the design work i'm gonna do all the fulfillment stuff and it's gonna be great so uh now's the time to do it and especially if you're thinking like oh man like uh i want to make sure this thing sticks around and that there's more cool shirts coming our way then get in now. That's that's how you know that we'll keep going. So awesome. Uh thanks for all of you who check out the website. I think now it's time for our world famous patented. Patented uh, section. Whacking on, on track. Whacking <laughs> on track. Yeah. Okay. Was I supposed to go so, longer with it? I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. That's good. So Liam, what have you done recently that is whack? Or what have you done recently that is on track? I mean, you know, Josh, I always have a little trouble with this because I feel like I haven't done that much. Also, I always forget when we last recorded. So, uh, when did we last record, actually? We, we talked about the house that Jack built. We talked about house that Jack built, yeah. <laughs> so, did I manage to get in Support the Girls? Did I talk about Support the Girls? Yeah. Okay. You did, yeah. So, since then, I've also seen uh, Miseducation of Cameron Post. Oh, how was that? Uh, weirdly, it's the second film this year about gay conversion camp. Uh, this one is a, 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 from a lesbian perspective as opposed to a, a, a more of a male perspective. Um, you know, I liked it. I think it's got it's got a, a certain amount of power to it just because of the subject matter. It's hard not to get emotional about this topic because uh, in case y'all didn't know, gay conversion camps are evil and the people who run them are monsters who should be but prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. They're um, also still a thing in 2018. Yeah, they still exist. I mean, this is set in the 90s. There's a certain funness to that. You know, there's a very dated moment where she's singing for non-blondes. You know, <laughs> but it still works because you're not supposed to be singing secular music at this very Christian place. But I was like, come on, four non-bloods, come on. <laughs> but it still worked. I thought the performance was good. I think the movie lacks some of the emotional punch that this topic could carry. But maybe that's better. Did maybe you see? Did you see Boy Erased? Did you see the other one? I didn't see it yet. Um, uh, yeah. From what I understand, from what I understand, now this is not me. I have no right to say this, but uh, podcasts I like, Linoleum Knife, uh, two uh, gay gentlemen who are a couple who are both critics and they review movies on their podcast. Uh, they um, felt like Boy Raced was a little bit of a movie more about the straight people. It was more about them learning um, how to be more compassionate, basically. And, and, and that didn't make it a bad movie, but it just was... Even though it was a true story, it seemed to be more about these people coming around. Whereas the Miseducation of Cameron Post is not that. Miseducation of Cameron Post has a lot of sexiness in it. It's very much like a coming to terms with who you are and what you're attracted to sort of thing. So it's a little bit more for queer folks to enjoy. You know what I mean? If okay. that makes sense? Yeah, no, it's, it for seems me like as it's a, more for internalized. Me as a, 
yeah, it, so I haven't seen Boy Race, so I don't know. I don't have an opinion about that. But watching Miseducation of Camera Post, it felt less dramatic than it could be. It's still serious. It still shows that these places are monstrous places, but it, it lacks some amount of melodrama. And uh, I think that's a good thing per se, but it, I just wasn't as sucked in. It's, it's a little bit more of like a quiet indie film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the performances were really strong. So I liked it. I just, you know, I didn't. It wasn't amazing. It wasn't like a giant revelation, but I think it's worth watching because it's something that I'm just fucking horrified still exists. Mm. Uh, I finally saw Upgrade. I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I saw a little movie called Thunder Road. Have you seen Thunder this? Road? No, I have not. Uh, Thunder Road is written, directed, and starring a guy named Jim Cummings. Uh, this dude should get fucking... I mean, I won't even say he should get an Oscar because Oscars usually go to people that aren't that great. This dude, they should make up a new <laughs> award for this dude. This movie is amazing. And I was I went in super skeptical because it's a movie about a cop. And I'm like, pro cop movie? No, thank you. But uh but it's not really that at all. It's it's like this police officer, his mom dies and he's trying to um process the death of his mother. While his own life is kind of a mess, he's estranged from his wife, and he's trying to connect with his daughter, but him and his daughter don't always connect very well, and it's very much, it's sort of a movie about toxic masculinity, but it's a comedy, Um, but this is a guy who very much, every time he feels emotions, he responds anger. He can't just express what he's feeling. He just gets frustrated. He gets so frustrated, and it was... (laughs) so well done the movie walks this fine line between like there's endearing things about him because he wants to be a better father and then there's embarrassing things about him because he's this like uptight cop and and you feel compassion for him as his life falls apart but you also feel a little bit of satisfaction that it's falling apart because he's kind of an asshole who needs to learn how to not be an asshole so i just think it's it's a very layered performance, and that's what makes it so brilliant. So, on the road, if if you are okay with awkward, I highly recommend it. I think it was really great. Uh, I got to see Eighth Grade. Thought that was awesome. Uh, oh, I love that. Movie. I thought it was yeah, really awesome. Great. I finally got to see it. I think it's going to be on my list. Same as Thunder Road. Saw so Lizzie. It's pretty good. A little disappointing, but pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted more. You know, Lizzie Borden is a is a story I grew up with. You know, and hearing yeah, yeah, that yeah. this was sort of a a take on it, I, I I thought it was very powerful the way that the events sort of work out between Lizzie and this maid character. Like, I think there was a real I don't know. There's something there that really affected me in that performance. But I think the movie itself doesn't really work. In telling the story very well, I don't know. There, there, there was something missing. I'm not sure what it was, but you know, it wasn't bad. I liked it, but it, it's, it wasn't what I was expecting. I wanted something more. So, uh, mm-hmm. saw one cut of the dead. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see this yet, but I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a movie in which you start the movie with a one cut, thirty minute zombie film, just one continuous shot zombie film, and then. It moves into a multi-camera edited, uh, not scary movie about how they made the zombie movie. And so it becomes sort of a comedy of errors as they screw everything up during this live broadcast. And it's really funny and really well done. It's a a Japanese film. Um, Saw that movie Burning. 
Oh yeah, how was that? The uh, Steven Yeun one, right? Yep. Uh, really great. Or no. Uh, is it Steven Yeun in that? I think. Or is John Cho? Is one of those guys? Might be John Cho. Well, let me I'm checking right now. Um, I thought it was really great. I think um, it's hard because it's not um, no Steven Yeun. Um, it's not uh, easy to connect to emotionally. I think. I think if you're looking for uh, characters that are easy to relate to, I don't think that's there. But I think it's just a really brilliantly told story um just to jump through a few more uh finally saw venom no thank you uh <laughs> didn't really like hold the dark um saw that movie private life that was pretty good i saw that today um and it's as a parent it really affected me uh, it's a movie about older people trying to get pregnant and um yeah it really affected me i i really really remember it. paul giamatti is in it um i love him yeah me too uh but the things i want to highlight a little bit more that i really loved that i saw recently were uh a documentary on netflix called shirkers mm-hmm. that i think is really cool it's about uh some kids in singapore make a movie and then um they go back to college and leave the movie with their friend to like edit it and then he fucking disappears with it and they never see it again until he dies whoa so 20 years later and jesus really interesting uh then there's a movie called minding the gap it's about three friends who are skateboarders in rock 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 something illinois what is it rockville or rock i don't remember i'm sorry if you're from there i apologize but it's they live in illinois it's a sad place uh and it sort of starts with them as they're kind of younger skate punks and it kind of follows them through the years and it starts off being like another kind of slice of life here's some dirty skateboarders kind of movie and it slowly becomes about so much more uh, domestic violence uh, poverty toxic masculinity like and it, it and it's so just normal but there's dra- there's drama there because these people's lives are hard but it's telling that dramatic story in a very kind of normalizing this is normal this happens sort of way you know what i mean yeah uh it's not it's not sort of exploiting the stories and i thought it was really beautiful really hard to watch because all the characters are kind of figuring themselves out i mean they're real people they're not characters but and then the filmmaker is one of their friends and his life is also complicated and it's partly about his life as well. So it's not an easy watch, especially if you're someone who um, is a survivor of intimate partner violence. You might find it upsetting because that's a big part of what it's about. But I thought it was really well done and really beautiful. And then the thing I wanted to talk to you about the most, because I didn't know if you got a chance to see it yet, was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I did not get a chance to see it. I was hoping oh, to see it before we recorded. Yeah, sorry. All right, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about it. This might be my number one for the year. Do, wow. Do, 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 do. It may not be. Uh, I'll <laughs> tell you what. Um, Burning and Minding the Gap are also in the running, uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff I saw earlier in the year. But uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best uh entertainment movie i saw this year period without no movie no movie that is primarily about entertainment was as good as this movie for me um it is everything i want in a comic book movie which 
I've said for a while, if someone would really let loose in an animated film, they'd get a much better comic book movie than any of these live action films. This is what no live action movie can actually give you is in this movie. And it's done in a better way than all these straight video movies that DC and Marvel put out because those are all using animation to recreate comic books. No, no, that would be fucking great if that's what they fucking did. <laughs> All these movies are just recreating live action cinema. Uh... They're not trying to give you more than that. And Into the Spider-Verse understands that by combining different forms and styles of animation, by playing with a format, by recreating comic book shit, that it's like breaking into new ground so there's all this stuff like a it's the first movie to use interdimensional stuff in a way that was actually interesting and not just an excuse to like get out of a bad situation mm. like i think a lot of times when you have multiple dimensions it's just like i wrote a bad script and i don't know what to do about it <laughs> so you just create other dimensions um it's the first one to make spider-man super interesting i think raimi spider-man was fun but spider-man is a little bit boring I think that uh, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man is unwatchable dreck. And I think Spider-Man Homecoming is really cool. Uh, and he's really charming. But there's more dimensions to the various Spider-Men's Spider-People in, 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 uh, uh, into the Spider-Verse. Um, and it's the first movie that actually acknowledges that uh, in the entire Marvel Universe, uh, including Black Panther, that, uh, that New York is mostly brown people. That, that that's like not a thing you get it a little bit in spider-man homecoming mm. but you know black panther sure black panther is like the blackest comic book movie we've ever had but it's mostly africa so it's like <laughs> you know of course it is this is a film in which there are multicultural brown folks at least for a chunk of it in new york city now granted is it as much as it could be no we still aren't there yet but i think miles morales is a step in the right direction um, and I think the hint at the end of the movie, if they really go with it, of Spider-Man 2099 would be cool. As well. ah. So I don't know if they're going to do it. It was just a quick little joke scene, but maybe. <laughs> um, and finally, this is one of the first movies uh, in the Marvel Universe that is uh, actually hip-hop. Nice. Like, ur urban culture is in this fucking movie. You know, he goes to visit his old-ass uncle, who used to be cool, and, uh, you know... His old ass uncle's listening to Biggie. Like that's how it is. He's he's bumping, and they go and they do graffiti in the subway, you know. And his piece <laughs> is actually good. And you're just like, oh okay, like this is this is a movie in which Spider Man has broken, you know, uh, vandalism laws. I'm into that. Like that's cool. So I I just think I just think that part of the movie, like the aesthetic, and I would also say like. And you'll have to tell me if you feel this, too. I feel like the writing in the movie. I feel like the aesthetics of how some of the fashion is. I think this movie is connected to the hip-hop part of urban culture in a way that other Marvel movies have not. And I think that door probably opened because of Black Panther, so I don't want to take away from Black uh -huh. Panther. And I really like Black Panther. But for me, this movie was more engaging than Black Panther. Wow. Personally. All um, right. I can't wait yeah. to see it. I really, really love it. So maybe I talked it up too much, and you're going to be like, oh, no, it's just a Spider-Man movie. But for me, I, I really had fun with it. I laughed. I got a little emotional. I dug it. Uh, and I think the cameo, like, not cameos, but the voice parts, I didn't know Nick Cage was in the movie. That was a fun surprise. It's <laughs> um, awesome. I did I, did, I only kind of knew that uh, John Laney was in the movie. Like So stuff like that I really like. So 
Um, and, and that all these weird spider folks were in the comics. They're from the comics. So yeah. That's cool, too. So, yeah, yeah check it out. Uh, Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse. Other than that, nothing really else on the, <laughs> on the on track. And I haven't gone out enough to do anything to act. So I think that's it for me. Awesome. Very good. Okay. For me, on track. I saw The Grinch. Uh, I love The Grinch. You stole Christmas Dr. Seuss story. So it was just an updated version of that. And I enjoyed it. Uh, I saw Widows. Did you see Widows yet? No, it's on my to-see list. Uh, I just need to get... Like I said, the only thing I've gone out to the theater to see was Into the Spider-Verse. I actually wanted to see Widows more than Into the Spider-Verse, but Susan was actually the one who was like, we're going to see Spider-Man movies. And I'm so glad she said that because I really, really loved it. But I really want to see Widows. It's just, you know, schedule-wise, it's hard to get Yeah, I get it. But uh, I really liked it a lot. I liked uh, Viola Davis is awesome in it. And uh, Daniel Kaluuya delivers a amazing performance as the villain in the movie, and uh, Liam Neeson's in it. It's I thought it was a really fun heist. Well, it's not fun, but uh, it was a very engaging heist movie for me, and I, I thought it was a really good time. Um, I also saw White Boy Rick, and uh, oh wow, really? Yeah, I just saw it. I don't know, it's fine. And then uh, I saw I like I said I heard nothing but bad things about it. Yeah. It's, uh, but um, it, that'll go on my whack list. Uh, also on track is I saw Aquaman. Now, on its surface, it is a pretty bad movie. But that said, I really had a lot of fun with it. I saw it in IMAX, and uh, it was sup- It was like uh, the first uh, DC Universe movie of this new breed, starting with Man of Steel and moving through uh, Superman vs. Batman and Justice League. Where uh, I feel, and Wonder Woman, of course, I feel like this is the most fun out of all of them. It's directed by James Wan, and it has a lot of like comic book pop uh, features to it. Like it's very colorful. And um, I don't know what your thoughts are on James Wan, but I happen to like him. I think he's a good director. And he definitely uh, he takes heavily from the Blade Runner aesthetic when he's building the world of Atlantis in this movie. And uh, it looks awesome, of course, because it's like this cutting-edge CG or whatever. But Jason Momoa, our man, is the shiny gem at the middle of this ornate uh, crown, right? It, he's awesome in this movie. He does just the perfect uh, line walk between like the playful mugging at the camera versus like being like the superhero guy with big old muscles. And um, there are a couple things. There are a couple like huge plot points that are like, ah. I, I'm not really sure how this how we got from A to B here, but okay. Like you have to suspend a lot of disbelief for some of the things in there. But um, overall, it was a very fun popcorn munching movie. And uh, if you are gonna go see it this weekend, which uh, a lot of people probably will, I would suggest seeing it on the biggest screen possible because it is a gorgeous um, romp. Yeah. And so that was on my on track video. There's a couple of things that I thought were really funny, like in the opening sequence of the movie, Jason Momoa fights a submarine and like he he goes underwater and like the submarine's being assaulted by pirates and he saves the submarine by like going under it and pushing it to the surface of the water and then he breaks in, he's fighting all the pa- the pirate bad guys and uh, he shows up inside like he busts through the submarine door and he gives this whole uh permission to come aboard line is <laughs> so amazing but then he's also wearing jeans and boots and no shirt right 
which is fine because he's covered in this tattooing and he's got this long hair. But then, inexplicably, he has a wallet chain that is attached to one of those gigantic biker wallets that sticks out of your back pocket. Now, he's fighting everybody. He's got the jeans and the boots and the no shirt. But why the wallet chain? Why the wallet? Underwater. It's things like this that I was watching. I was like, huh. So wait, if Jason Momoa can only be penetrated by Atlantean steel, how did he get tattooed? That's a question that I didn't answer. But um, despite all that, I thought it was a really fun movie, and I enjoyed it very much. So, yeah. <laughs> the other, Oh, another on-track thing I did is uh, Melanie and I went to Good Good Comedy Theater to go see Janine Garofalo, and uh, it was a fun time. I don't know what your thoughts are on her as a comic. Uh, I happen to enjoy her. and I'm actually only really familiar with her as an actress. I haven't really seen her stand-up. Her stand-up is pretty funny. It's more of a flight of idea as opposed to a uh, telling jokes kind of comic um and she you know she did it in good good which is a room that only seats about 50 people so it was a lot more intimate than seeing her at like helium and uh it was really really good so that was fine also on track uh you're forgetting something what am i forgetting you discovered the joy that is we bear bears oh my god it is Y'all, the greatest tv you show not it is so good if you've not fucking seen the show, here's the thing. I know I endorse kids stuff a lot because I watch stuff with my daughter, but I really do think We Bear Bears is too good for Babe. She just doesn't know. She wants to watch it, but she doesn't understand how good it is. It is so. Uh, I will tell you, listeners, that I'm in the process of planning my We Bear Bears uh, tattoo, uh, Cinepunk's mashup tattoo. But uh, that's another there's, story for another time. <laughs> there's an episode where one of the bears has like first of all it's a cartoon where the episodes are like 11 minutes yeah but it builds worlds so that there's a there's a Roomba that shows up in season one that by <laughs> season four is like a buddy to the one of the bears that he can like ride around it's like his personal hoverboard robot and there's an episode where he rides that into the sea, and it's like the movie Drive. It's it's it's, it's, it's called Ice Nights, and he so like good. gets involved in a robot fighting rig, and the music is all synthed out, and he has secret Russian ties. It's so good. It's so good. There's so many movie references. There's so many cool cultural references in it, and it's so like fun and silly, and never like a bummer. I don't know. Yeah, it's I love super it. good. I love all the characters in it. I love the music in it when they do the music episodes. Uh, I just think it's a really great show. Dude, I love the Bigfoot Charlie character. He's so funny. Charlie is so oh good. Oh, my God. It's great. It's fucking genius. Uh, love I like, uh, what's her name, too? Is it? Uh, Chloe. Ah, so good. Chloe. Yeah. So good. What is the actress's name who plays Chloe? She was uh, in the movie Paper Hearts. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. She's a comic that... Uh, Oh, man. Her name. Uh, yeah, she's she's she's, she's really good in the show. Again, they're short episodes. It, it's not a huge commitment, but it, it does build. If you keep watching it, the stuff goes on in the character's life. Plus, freaking T Pain shows up for an episode. That was a crazy episode, man. Like, <laughs> just not you know, uh, just Cameron Esposito is like a re- recurring character. Like, it's just <laughs> fun. It's worth checking it out. We Bear Bears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so. I, I now that's on the list we watched with Maeve, so I've seen the episodes many times now. And I'm also on a rewatch of Steven Universe because uh, she likes Steven Universe too. <laughs> and uh, I highly recommend that show as well. It's It takes a while to get its legs a little bit. Like, I, I think it's charming from the beginning, but the subplot doesn't become clear until 
maybe like 20, 25 episodes in. Wow. Uh, which you say, wow, but it's like We Big Bears. They're 11 minute episodes. Oh, right, right, so, right, like, right, right. season one is, is technically 56 episodes, Jeez. but it's not. It's not, though, because when you would watch it on TV, they would do two stories in one you know show right you know what i mean right, right so right. it's more it's more like whatever than math is on that i don't want to do it. but <laughs> uh the point the point being is that um i guess 28 it was 28 episodes the first season um but they split it up anyways point being is that um if you have watched the show all the way through and then you go back and watch it there's actually all kinds of hints to the larger story in those early episodes such that i think they must have known where they were going. They must have known. They must have had some sort of plan because there's hints like in episode one that come into play. Here we are now in season five, and it's like, oh, oh, that's what that is. Whatever, whatever. And it just gets really tense. Plus, it's so queer. It's like the queer <laughs> show, and it's won the Glad Award a million times because no kid shows are queer, and it's so good. I, I, I got you know. There's a song. There's a character on the show named Garnet that is, uh, you know, the the idea is that the crystal gems, there's a whole planet where these gems, they're like, you know, kind of gems we have on Earth, but they form bodies out of light. And there's they're part of this hierarchical society. And they go to planets and they plant gems in the planet to grow. That's how they make new gems is sort of the way gems would grow on a planet, but they excel the process so it destroys the planet. And they don't care about organic life. They just care about other gems. So... You know, you join the story years after they've been kicked off because one of the gems rebelled and found this team that, like, fights to protect the planet, you know, basically. Right. And so one of these characters is a fusion. So, like, gems can fuse with other gems. But in on Homeworld, you only do it with gems of the same type to become bigger or more powerful. You know what uh-huh. I mean? And these are two different kinds of gems that form a new gem in combining and they're doing that because they love each other now in this world all the gems are female there are no male gems doesn't exist and the concept of love doesn't really exist but fusion is a way for gems to love each other so really these are like two gay characters who now formed a new person and there's an episode where They've been separated by these people invading Homeworld, and then they get back together to form Garnet again. And she sings a song while she's fighting that's about how, like, she's better together. And it's like, it's so good. <laughs> and she definitely has this thing where she's like, you think you know me because you know the pieces of me, but I am more than those pieces. I am their hopes. I am their dreams. I am a conversation. And it's she's saying that she's beating the crap out of this bad person, and I'm like singing. That's it, really. awesome. And I was just like, this this show is fucking magical. It's goddamn magical. And in the most recent season, one of the characters who's very sad because her boyfriend by mistake is in space and she misses him, and so she forms a band with some friends, and it's basically a like a death rock pseudo punk <laughs> band, and it's so fucking good. Called Sadie and That's the awesome. Killers, and it's so good. Anyways, sorry. Oh, that's good. Point is, check out Steven Universe and right. great shows, great shows. All right. Okay, we So after the break, we will have a discussion about two movies with the word snow in the title. Yeah, what a great <laughs> theme. Lady Snowblood and Lady Snowblood Love Song of Vengeance. After the break.
And we're back. So <laughs> we're here to discuss uh, two movies, Lady Snowblood and uh, Lady Snowblood 2. Uh, What's the subtitle on that? The subtitle remember? on that is uh, Love Song, Love Song of, of Vengeance. Vengeance. Yes. So um, y- yeah. you've seen both of these previously. Yeah. Let's do the let's do the facts on this thing. Lady Snowblood, nineteen seventy three. Yeah. Uh, director Toshiya Fujita. There's no reason for y'all to necessarily know who this person is, unless you're a fan of Stray Cat Rock. Yeah, he did like which, a bunch of those Stray Cat movies in the sixties, right? Yeah. Which, by the way, I like those Stray Cat movies. That so I kind of when I saw he did those, I was like, oh, okay, this guy. But uh, it didn't look like he did anything post lady snowblood that i know that doesn't mean that the listener doesn't know maybe you love his stuff but i didn't know anything after that and for me lady snowblood was a movie i knew as a movie that influenced tarantino yeah kill bill and so i had seen clips of it and whatever and then we were just saying uh uh before we start recording i think we were at the same screening at the i house yeah. where they screened it on 35 millimeter uh, and that was pretty great. And then as soon as the Blu-ray double of these two movies came out, I got it. Um, but uh, we should be very familiar with um, the writer. Yeah, one of, of the three. Someone. One of the three writers, right? Or two writers? Well, the the original writer of the manga, Kazuo Koike. Yeah, I don't know if I said that right because he wrote a little thing called Lone Wolf and, Lone Cub. Wolf and Cub, something I am very familiar with both yes manga form and uh in movie film form version. yeah uh and i wonder and i wonder does he have any connection at all with the american adaptation of lone wolf and cub i do not know actually i'm I'm quite sure he probably would I don't know though, right like he's still alive isn't he yeah yeah so i don't know if he was connected to that at all but so i i didn't know that lady i knew lady Snowblood was a manga of course but i didn't know it's the same writer and seeing that makes a lot of sense for me because the lone wolf of gum movies are some of my favorite yeah those baby cart to hades period. and all those baby cart by the river sticks those things are amazing if you haven't seen those you definitely have to seek them out and, and give them a watch or i would also suggest reading the manga because those are really fun too did you read those growing up liam or was that a thing for you? I did. I only I only own one, but I've read a few of oh, them. Oh man. Um I'd like to I'd like to read more. I haven't finished the series, but uh I've probably read I think like four, I think, or three. Something yeah, like those that. were like my favorite uh, books I also, growing up. Those were like oh man, I love those books. Like it, it was weird too because like they always were like wildly graphic for for the time, I felt. Right. You know? Right. So my parents were like Well, well I, I buying them. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I, 
I mean, are they graphic though for manga? Like, I feel like the rules for manga. Are I honestly haven't read that much manga, so I don't even know. Oh, they're very different. In fact, uh, Lady Snowblood film is so much more uh, tame compared to the manga. I mean, there's an extended slaughter sequence. She does entirely nude in the uh, in the manga that doesn't show up in the movie at all. Fair enough. Fair enough. Does the manga? Yeah, yeah. She ends up. Does Does the manga go on further beyond uh, Song of Vengeance? I don't know. Actually, I've only seen it. Uh, I've only I've only actually read the first one. I never read. Well, I, so I think the I think the first one is a few uh, issues. I think they compiled them later, but I, it's a few issues. So I think I've read the material that it makes up the first film. Uh, but I'm not sure. I feel like there was some discontinuity there. But the stuff that makes up the second film, I've never read. I haven't done the full right, series. Right, right, right. But, uh, but I think I think it was a few volumes. I don't think I I don't know if it went past the movie, but I'm pretty sure it, it did. Um, but you know, when they started, they didn't have a publisher. It was sort of like uh, it wasn't necessarily an idea that people knew was going to succeed to do a female character in the genre. Yeah. Hey. But for the movie, for the movie though, and if you if you guys are people check out IMDb, uh, the IMDb claims that this role was written for uh, uh, Maiko Kaji, who plays Yuki. Uh, that's not technically true because the manga already existed. But the motivation to make a movie of this manga was slightly based off of the fact that uh, uh, Maiko was in the. Um, Scorpion, Scor- Scorpion yeah. Prisoner movie. I have, you know those. I Prisoner? saw like I maybe the first one of those, and uh... I, I have the series, the Arrow release, but it's the promo discs. Like it's not the actual box set; it's just the ones they send to you yeah. for you to review. So like they're not in the right order. So I don't know how to start <laughs> watching them. I mean, I can look it up. It's not right. like a mystery, but I just I've only watched one because I was like. And then as I was watching it, I was like, I don't know if this is the right <laughs> one I'm supposed to be watching. I, I'm not I, sure. They seem to but, be like uh, real she, disjointed, she, right? Like, I'm not quite sure. I only saw the first one, I so, so I don't, I don't know, know specifically. But I remember thinking, like, like reading the synopses for, like, the other consequent movies. I remember thinking, like, oh, man, I don't really know, like, how this woman, like, how I'm going to keep up with all this, like, prison stuff. You know what I mean? Like, seems like a lot. Seems like a lot. Well, regardless, her fame from that movie is why this movie got made. Is they needed a vehicle for her. They've been kicking around possibly doing this manga in a f- movie version, and that's how it happened. And, that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense because those movies yeah. were really popular. Um, so, yeah, I, like I said, I knew of this movie for a long time before I got to see it. And then that was, what, what year do you think that was? We saw maybe 2010? Yeah, like sometime around then. Yeah, they so had like that. Yeah, this is maybe the third time I've watched both movie or third time I've watched Lee Snowblood and the second time with the the uh, Love Song Part of two. Vengeance. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this movie's fucking awesome. It's truly the meeting of art, film, and exploitation movie in my mind. So you, in your mind, it's like the nexus of those two. Furies, I really, right? like I really think so. What do you think? I would agree with with the first one. The second one, I don't feel so much that type of uh, connection. The first one, though, is just on all fronts. I feel is a, is a fine and perfect movie. Like, of course, there are a couple like plot devices that I wasn't so sure about, and like I, I have to give credence to the fact that it came from a manga. Then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that's why that is. Like that certain certain uh, dots didn't connect for me so much. That okay, like, talk uh, about that. What do you mean? 
Um, there were just certain continuity things in the movie that uh, that like it felt like they were skipping stuff. I can't really think of anything specifically right now, but I I remember like was because I watched this last week or earlier this week. Uh, after thinking I didn't have to rewatch it because we had watched it before, but uh, so watching it again, I was there were a couple scenes that I was like, huh, and uh, it, it didn't feel like it connected well enough for me. Uh, and honestly, now that I say it, I wish I had written it down, but I didn't because I'm well, you're bad at this. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Because I am good at being <laughs> bad. So uh, I mean, I felt as though that the same thing happened in the second one, which I which I just recently finished, and. Uh, it's just like all of a sudden like people are, are places and stuff i'm like oh wait a minute like how did you know like it just seemed janky in terms of that no not that for you huh? no no i think you're even in the second one obviously wrong no the second one's a little weird and, and we'll get to that but i think with this first one uh i don't know hopefully you guys have seen this movie uh if you haven't i don't know what's wrong with you but uh wait did think- you did you see Kill Bill first before you saw this, or did you see this? Oh first? yeah, one hundred percent saw Kill Bill first. Right. So how did like? Do you remember? I remember the feeling of watching this after seeing Kill Bill, and being like, "Oh, so that's where he got all of that kind of." Oh yeah, totally, know. totally. But uh, what's weird is some of the stuff that I knew was a direct lift. I already knew it was a direct lift from YouTube because people had been talking about it. Oh, and I just right. hadn't had the opportunity because there wasn't. I didn't have the DVD, and I, you know, I didn't really have the money for a while to be buying random Criterion's all the time. You know what I mean? Oh, I, although I don't even know if they put this out on DVD before the Blu-ray came out. They might not have, but I didn't have access to it. So until we saw that 35 millimeter print. I just didn't have an opportunity to see this movie, really. Um, and, and you know, I vaguely knew I wanted to see it. But the simply knowing that Tarantino ripped something off isn't really enough for me to say, hey, yo, I need to see. You know what I mean? Like, that's not necessarily a thing. But once I saw it, yeah, totally. Uh, f- for those who have, I keep trying to use plot synopsis fucking thing, and you keep cutting me off here. The, the Maybe movie I should stop is... talking then, Liam. But anyway, no, that would make me sad. <laughs> uh, the movie is basically a vengeance film in which uh, a woman has been wronged by some criminals. They've you know murdered her family and raped her and um, put her in jail. Uh, put her in jail, and she has a, a baby in jail who she sort of promises to get vengeance for her. Um, so the story is mostly of this this woman Yuki who sees herself as uh, a Sora demon. Yeah, uh, a vengeance, and you know the original manga was very much about Snow White. <laughs> so the it's that all it's I all a pun. Know. Wow! Oh, it's all a pun in Japanese. So the the you know Snow Blood in Japanese is very similar to Snow White. So uh, the yeah. idea would be when when you say Snow Blood or or whatever it is in in Japanese that it sounds similar enough to Snow White that people would get that you're kind of messing with snow white and that's why the same as in the comic there's all the snow and everything you know it's it's sort of this play off of that character but not too much just just enough that you would but it's not like he lifted from the plot of snow white he just wanted to make the reference of like okay so whatever and knowing that there was this uh knowing that there was this uh pun he kind of that got him thinking about it but also just this feeling of like what would it mean to have a beautiful character of vengeance? You know, he had written a lot of manga about assassins, you know, mm. and that, that was sort of his thing. But what would it mean to have a have a female assassin who who uh, 
was going out and getting vengeance. And, uh, you know, he kind of sold the story of the manga based on this original idea that this woman, she was going to be in prison for the rest of her life. So the only way she could get the vengeance she wanted was to have a child. And that's like a big part of the movie is yeah. she has this child and she's sleeping with all these men trying to get pregnant so she can have a child and then once she's dead that child can continue the vengeance that she seeks and what i think is really interesting about the story is how it isn't completely satisfying in 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 um the way it tells the story i mean it ends up really getting there but uh it's not purely a story of like feel good vengeance you know what i mean no, like sometimes yeah. you see like a and it's just like, like a justified vengeance like it, it takes 20 years yeah. and uh you know the mother dies and like there's so right. much to it that like doesn't it takes this the the i don't want to say joy but it it, it right. takes the comeuppance down a notch i feel well it's complicated right like the the story plays with this idea of heritage right you know, because it's her heritage to take vengeance. But what about the children of the people she's trying to take vengeance against? They both, she runs into two of them. They both turn out to be great. Yeah. So she doesn't want to hurt them, but she also kind of doesn't care yeah, a little bit. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it's, it's kind of both. There's also the idea that she can't control everything. So even though she tries to take vengeance on uh, one of the people, uh, the female character whose name I always forget, uh, who's one of the bad people, that character ends up getting killed before yeah. she can have her vengeance. And that's a huge disappointment for her. <laughs> you know, you can see that on her face, that that was part of her goal. And that that in her quest to get vengeance, she kills a lot of people along the way who have nothing to do with this. <laughs> like, technically, a lot of these people are not connected to what she's doing the at 37 all. 37 so people I don't think she the, kills in the first movie. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't think, um, I don't think the, the, film and i'm assuming that also the manga that it doesn't have a um an unambiguous view of all this killing it doesn't have an unambiguous take on it i don't know but for me in this first movie the the reason i do feel like it is this combination of of art and exploitation perhaps art exploitation <laughs> is uh it's such a beautiful depiction of violence um it's a film that is like very gritty there's a lot of like uh, sexuality in it. There's a lot of uh, misogyny in in the men, while the women have this like uh, you know dignity to them. It's it's not like about that. It still shows that the men uh, can be victimizing yeah. monsters. Even people who end up being her allies at first are very dangerous, and it's only the fact that she is also dangerous that keeps her from yeah. being victimized. Keeps by her them. safe. Yeah. Um and. And, and it's pretty clear that the whole society, I mean, I think this was part of his motivation, you know, when he's doing this manga, it's sort of in the 60s when, you know, the idea of some form of equality is just starting to come around, not just in Japan, but anywhere. And so it's like, what would it mean if you had a strong female character, a strong woman seeking this, like, one goal in a world that was, like, not sure that she yeah, was human, yeah, yeah. you know, that like, wasn't sure that women had a right to exist. So I don't know what. What did you think of uh, the direction and the and the cinematography? I thought this movie looked amazing, and I don't know what it was that they like. Maybe it's the Criterion transfer or whatever. But man, it is vibrant. 
Um, one of the things that they did in this movie that was very popular at the time was uh, they did these blood sprays with every slice of the sword, right? So, like, uh, you, you would hit someone with the sword, and they'd be like, ah! And then, push, like, this huge spray of blood would come shooting out. And uh, you could tell it's in that, like, Technicolor zone when all the blood is super red, and it's, like, almost like... Uh, um, like like Suspiria levels of color, like uh, manipulation, you know, and uh, there's some. It's it just right. looks gorgeous. Plus, it's it's a story of a feudal Japan that t- happens uh, right around like the early 1900s, like 1904 or something like that. Like so, uh, there's this uh, beautiful right. uh, attention to the detail of uh, Japanese society at the time, right? Like all the clothes look amazing, and like. Um, it, it lifts these images that do feel like they come from Lone Wolf and Cub and from like those mangas of that time, like that early seventies, uh, eighties time. You know what I mean? Like it felt like everything could have been a panel if it was a black and white line drawing. Um, I really like the uh, active camera movements in these yeah. in these movies in both of them. Uh, it feels as though it's not like uh, first person, but it feels like engaged in a way that uh, a lot of Japanese movies that I've seen from around this time do not participate in, right? Because at the time, also like really popular was the uh, like the Tokyo Story style tatami telling of the stories with static camera angles, and like you know a lot of it was like. Uh, was from the like floor well not floor level like a little bit elevated from floor level but not standing up i forget what they call that but um watching this movie in comparison to like those movies that we've watched in the past for cinepunks i definitely felt like the camera um motions in the movie and like uh just uh its participation in the actual acts playing out on the screen i felt that it was very effective and um i really liked it i thought it looked uh, i Honestly, that's probably my favorite part of the movie, how it looked, the visual aspect of it. Yeah, there's a real dynamic um, energy to the film, and even the scenes in which there's it's maybe more meditative or, or it's um, a flashback to something that happened in her past, there's an energy to it. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I would say that it, it it's a little bit restricted by its... Um, comic origins because it relies too much on voiceover i would say that's my one sort of criticism of at least the first film mm. is that there's a there's a chunk of voiceover in the movie um from her she has a a priest who trains her to be this like uh killing machine know, yeah killing machine basically <laughs> Uh, and that and, scene and is I think, so great, though. I love that sequence, like the whole. I mean, he's in a few. He's in a few things, and there's sort of a suggestion. I'm sure in the comic book, I think she visits a number of people that train her in various things. Because in the film, we get not just that he trained her to fight, but there's also a woman who trained her to be a pickpocket. We don't get enough info about that in yeah, the movie yeah, for yeah. me. I think there's a whole world. There's a there's a larger story in the manga that I'm sure isn't in this film, but we don't have access to it. And honestly, I wouldn't change that, even though I wish there was more of it there part of me does another part of me feels like the economy of storytelling in ladies the blood i've seen people describe it as slow or overlong and these people are uh, monsters unworthy <laughs> of human compassion um unworthy of human sorry. compassion i'm sorry man you're just because <laughs> you're really taking this not yuck other people's yum thing really seriously i want to say well let's put let's put it this let's put it this way i'm done yucking other people's yum <laughs> but but I'm not done getting angry at people who yuck my yum. So there, okay. I've I've seen I've seen people take a shit on this movie who don't have the patience for a beautiful samurai film, right? Basically, you know, who don't have the mindset that it's like, well, let's 
it doesn't have to all be blood splatter. Let's let some characters happen. <laughs> Let's let some beautiful snowfall and some like establishing shots. And you know, she doesn't get a chance in some ways to be maybe a character even that people want, but I think that's part of the point of the movie. Like, I actually think her performance is pretty great because it's about how driven she is yeah. by this calling. And, you know, and Asura is, uh, I think I have the right word, Asura for this, like, driven demon. This is one of the paths of, of Buddha. There's a number of ways that you could pursue enlightenment according to Shinto Buddhism. And one of the ways is to become Asura, someone who is so focused on doing what it is that you're called to do that you would do anything you would kill anyone you would destroy anyone you would do anything because all that matters is your goal and that's who she is in fact that for me is why her muted emotional response to the daughter of her enemy or the son of her enemy who she clearly loves yeah. you know she clearly has emotions for that she can't fully express this is because she is the living embodiment of vengeance. And I feel like the best part of that for me is that scene where she has a moment where she doesn't have anything. She's waiting for them to come for her. She's, she's waiting for them to come out of hiding and she sees the children playing and she just is emotionally affected by yeah. that. I felt like that was actually a brilliant scene to show that she still has this core, this inner innocence that hasn't, been corrupted yeah, this, this inner humanity that is no part of the yeah. demon that is vengeance in her yeah it's pretty awesome yeah. man yeah it's pretty rad yeah so um i i think though i agree with you i think the victory of this film is probably how it looks because it manages to have all this over the top just utterly satisfying violence yeah. for me if you're someone who likes martial arts if you like samurai films that's just a big kind of like you know economy of motion with a sword yeah then I think this film really scratches that itch while also being beautiful. I mean, the opening snow scene, that's iconic. Yeah, that's like for sure. groundbreaking so stuff. Awesome. That, that alone is worth seeing the film. Dude. But I also think thematically there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie that I don't know that people always talk about. You know, they don't think... Like, what depressed. do you mean? Like, I think... Okay, so the movie's set uh, during this transition time. Right. So it's like it's like... Old Japan and New Japan are kind of in chaos. They're sort of clashing. They're they're connecting. Japan has this new energy. Uh, right around this time is when they had the war with right, Russia, right, right. and they basically won this war with Russia. So they're starting to turn into this modern state. And so the crime that's committed against her mom is part of this earlier part of Japan. So what she's doing is almost like writing the sins of the past. You know, this past that isn't quite gone away yet. Uh -huh. But then she's connected to this guy who's printing a newspaper yeah. or printing these graphic novels. That's the future. You know, like, so it's like the future and the past are sort of are, are meeting together. But even more so... Uh, for me at least, and, and I think this is a theme in a lot of his work, this idea that, you know, today's criminal is very easily tomorrow's leader. That, like, except for the one guy who's a fucking degenerate Yeah, the gambler, drunk guy. The rest, of, yeah, the rest of these assholes have, like, really done well for themselves. She controls the police. The other guy sort of moved up in the world and had all these people who serve him. Yeah, like, but they're still uh, bad people, I, I though, think, and that's the thing. Like, they still deserve the vengeance that she has to mete out to them. So, 
No, but that doesn't matter. I, what I'm saying is the film is suggesting that you just don't know the uh, vengeance that all good people should have coming for them. That there is no leader whose leadership is not based on murder and death. That every Rockefeller is just a rapist at some point. That you are the descendant. If you are, look at yourself right now. If you are someone whose money is more than 100 years old, then you are the descendant of criminals. That's just the reality. There's no way around that, especially if you're white, that your money is from murdering, you know, awful humans who probably raped and killed possibly were animals. It's just the reality of history. And this film, I think, is very knowledgeable of that. And it's easier to see it in this microcosm that is Japan because it's this small island and the history doesn't go back that far. But, you know... There's a reason, I think, that the story, you know, when we talk about the sequel, we're about to transition to the sequel. The sequel is not a sequel like we pitched a new idea because we didn't know what to do with the character next. In the world of the comic, it's a continuation of the story. And it makes sense that the opening of the sequel is all these modern police trying yeah. to capture her. Because what she's done is not get vengeance for a wrong, which is how we are shown the thing in the whole first movie. What she's done is murder a bunch she's of good murdered citizens. Thirty-seven people, yeah. Raping, yeah, raping criminal good <laughs> citizens. You know, like the 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 reality is like the system can't allow for her to have her vengeance. her justice. The system can't, uh, yeah, her vengeance. Uh, the, the system can't allow for her to be this person. The system has to like take care of her. You know, and so I I think that that underlying because I and I don't think that's like un common with him i mean lone wolf and cub is literally walking about the path to the hell, problems yeah. with having yeah because he can't obey a, a just leader like it's literally about the that the loyalty to leaders is a bad thing that's the whole plot narrative of the of the whole of the whole yeah story but of see lone wolf and cub, but the thing is with the just... lone wolf and cub that's different from lady snowblood is that ito is committed to not the system of justice but to justice itself so ultimately he is the ultimate company man which is uh, different sure. from Lady Vengeance categorically. <laughs> Just saying. I guess so, but I think you could argue that it, in it's when I think about Lady Vengeance, I actually think about uh, the idea of witches. Whoa. Please. Because, because in a patriarchal world, right, uh -huh. witches are automatically evil because they subvert male power which is seen as goodness mm. which means that once you throw off patriarchy all witches no matter what evil they commit have to be good right wow be because they all, the, all they were doing is what they had to do to survive in a world that was crushing them now granted there probably weren't really that many actual witches in the sense that like i think a lot of it was just like persecution of women or whatever but the idea would be that the reading of witches, the reading of the idea that if someone was dabbling in magic or something, that they were doing something evil, is this pure, like, uh, you know, Christian propaganda, cock worship, and that, like, they're just simply doing what they have to do. Like, for Lady Vengeance, what other... There is no justice for her mom. There is no way for her to have justice. Yeah. So her daughter being this, like, literal living demon of vengeance <laughs> is the only way for this situation to be righted. So, like... The, I think the idea there is like that doesn't make it okay and, and I think that in neither of these narratives does she have much of a future you know what I mean like yeah. there's no hopeful end for her but 
it is a story about how like what else is she supposed to do though like what is the other option yeah the only other option is just tragedy so i i don't know that that justifies it like i said i'm still a pacifist i don't think anyone should be getting vengeance <laughs> but i think that separating her i think the idea that what she's doing is different from these cops or these government officials or whoever i think the movie puts it into question and says like well it's really not that much worse i mean the government ends up basically commit genocide against poor people like that's sort of what we'll get to. so the the this movie ends in a way where this could have been the last yeah, movie it very i thought it like, was actually which is yeah it, it ends basically with the end of lay snowblood but you know i mean again this is based off a comic book no one dies in comic book <laughs> yes right? so what back. ends up happening at the end of uh the first uh, lady snowblood movie is that she she kills the final uh bad person that had, uh, that had, you know, raped her mother and all this other stuff. And uh, she leaves, and the daughter of um, of one of the other people that she had killed in the movie comes back with her vengeance, and she stabs Lady Snowblood with a knife. She stabs Yuki right in the gut. And then, like, you don't know if she lives or dies. She kind of just limps away, walks away. Right. But then... I mean, I... Uh, good. Yeah, we we get the the sequel now. Here's what. Okay, so audience. Well, okay, let's say this: Lady Snowblood is a classic, and if you like the idea of a female focused, basically, it's it's basically a samurai yeah. movie, even though she's not a samurai, but she's this you know assassin who goes out and gets this vengeance. If you like that, and you can handle, there's a little bit of raunchiness. There's a lot of blood, just blood, gushing blood. blood. If that sounds good to you, you need to see yeah, this movie. It's, it's a classic. Super good. It, it has to be seen. It's amazing. You are not no, sure about then this. Then it leads us to part two, Lady Ven- or it's Lady Snowblood. I keep saying Lady Vengeance uh, from the Park Chan Wook movie, but that's not what we're talking about. Let's let's go ahead and say let's go ahead and say I assume le- sympathy for Lady Vengeance is partly influenced by movies yeah, for like sure. Lady Snowblood. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. No question, no question. Yeah. But we get into Lady Snowblood's Song of Vengeance, and it opens with her like walking, and all of a sudden these like cops jump out of everywhere and are trying to like kill her ass, right? And that opening scene I really loved because it's her descending a staircase. That that scene is oh iconic. Like I would say that based off that scene, I thought I was gonna love this movie because it's the filmmaking is spectacular. Yeah. The choreography is spectacular, and some of the flourishes, like the blood and the oh, water yeah. and stuff, it's just beautiful. It's transcendentally yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, for sure. And, and the, the thing is also, like, the way she's walking in that opening scene, like, dude, she is the physical embodiment at this point of this ferocious, like, demon woman killing patriarchy like that's a that's what it is it's just a bunch of dudes running at her and she's just whopping them up like wham, just slicing them up with her sword and it is an amazing sequence like the whole first sequence until she gets caught in the bear trap i love that whole bit so awesome man yeah but then after that eh, i'm not so much into it i'm gonna say all right talk about that what what was missing for you with this compared to the original Okay, so plot synopsis bit. What happens is uh, she she's walking down, she's killing all these cops, and then uh, she gets like uh, she's she's like she gets injured, you know what I mean? She like sustains hits, and then um, she gets away though, and then she's like walking in the forest kind of thing, and she, her foot gets caught in a bear trap, and she's stuck, 
And then this dude comes and he frees her and then he takes her to his abode and uh, he like bandages her up, you know, and then takes care of her. And then um, she's walking on like the she's she's out walking and like the cops end up finding her again. Right. Like that's what happens. And then she fights them off and gets on a horse and runs away and she's on a beach and then the dude's there and the cops are coming to get her and she's like still slicing people up. But then she sees the dude that saved her and she like feel I assume she feels bad that if she carries this on, it's going to fall on him. So she like throws the sword away and she ends up getting arrested. And then what happens is the cops sentence her to death. But then um, when she she goes to the same jail that her mom was in. And then she, like, this is all in, like, the first 10 minutes, too, by the way. Uh, and then uh, after that, she, uh, they, uh, the government officials kind of kidnap her from the thing. And then they try to use her as, like, a, uh, uh, what do you call it, Liam? They try to use her, like, to infiltrate. Yeah, she's basically, like, a spy. They, yeah. they, there's an anarchist named uh, Tokunagoransui. And, yeah. uh. They, they try to use some, her to infiltrate. His, yeah, well, he has his, some the, document that they really need. So she becomes a maid, yeah. and she starts working for him. And but as she works for him, she becomes more and more sympathetic to him. And he basically reveals that he like knows who she is, and that um, she's he's just like kept her around anyway. And she ends up switching sides. And um, then there's this extended sequence. They end up capturing him and using her as an excuse it, he, you know they know he has his secret document but he hasn't done yeah. a, any specific crime yet for them to take but she just being in her presence because she's this wanted assassin means they can now capture him and and torture him and whatever, whatever. yeah so and she apparent, is, apparently this ahead. document can like if it were to go to the press it would start a riot automatically right, right, right. and uh and i wasn't really too clear on like what exactly what was in that document oh yeah yeah yeah. so basically what had happened was um yeah how did you miss this the guy there was a gentleman who was very mad about stuff that was going on in the government and he was an anarchist and so he blew up a police station oh, right, so then right, right, when right, they right, captured right. him they tortured him and they had him just name every anarchist they knew was part of this conspiracy and they murdered all those people but this document was basically about how none of that was true that he acted alone and all these people were just killed for no crime whatsoever yeah 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 okay i remember that so she he tells her to go to this other person that he knows and it turns out it was the guy who helped her yeah and he's a you know a criminal basically he lives with all these former soldiers there's a whole they're in this like encampment limit they're basically in like a liminal space you know yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like the fucking favelas in rio de janeiro it's like a space that doesn't officially even exist right. where all these people are so poor and in japan you know uh japanese culture at the time is very sort of purity honor based system so you know there's kids wandering around covered in shit naked like it's just a very this is the very fringe of society and there are all these like uh, soldiers turned criminals who who just no one cares about their service anymore and so uh th this is supposed to be post the russian war they're all in siberia and now they're home or they're all in manchuria and now they're home and they just uh they just fucking they they feel abandoned or whatever and so what the anarchist guy was going to use hopefully for like political unrest this guy's going to use for blackmail to get all this money to buy rice just for the poor people here and then Things just get more and more out of control. They send, they send an anarchist guy. He's been infected with uh, 
with some sort of the plague, plague or the bubonic plague. But then you find out that he stole this guy's wife, and the wife yeah, is yeah, the one yeah, who yeah, brings yeah, yeah. it's. It turns into this wild melodrama that just I don't know, like had had me fighting to stay in. You know what I mean? It's so, just like eh. okay, here's the thing. This is what I want to say about that a little bit. I mean, we can get into more of like the uh, uh, okay. So I think that the this this sequel. If you go into the sequel wanting Lady Snowblood, you're screwed because Lady Snowblood. There's down moments, and I get why people think it is slow by their standards. But I think overall, it's very dynamic. Um, this movie is not that. No. There's an amazing intro, and I think there's a very strong exit. But the, but in the middle, yeah, it's more about intrigue than it is about fighting, and it's about the politics of the time. And I think, and it's about if just, you read, it's, a, it's about like the the whole turncoatness of it all, and the whole covertness, and just like the. The, the subtleties of having to infiltrate a society, <laughs> you know. But I think it's showing. I think I think it's doing. I, I think Lone Wolf and Cub actually did what this story is doing. The problem is that they're with Lone Wolf and Cub in the films. They always add more action in, so it's not just about what's going on intrigue wise. Right. Uh, but if if but you've read the comics, like that, that's part of the Lone Wolf and Cub story is the politics of what's happening in these different places with the Emperor. That's what's going on here is this transition time. There's all these abandoned people who fought for Japan in the war. There's all these politics of like controlling the populace and the police versus the secret police. And there's a lot of like layers going on politically, but you have to already be invested in that stuff, I think, to care. What I found interesting about it is that I think that in that first movie, right, there's a sense in which um, the personal is political right so like her vengeance is a political about, thing yeah it's about her vengeance and her personal family but it becomes this larger thing because of who these people have become right. then in the next movie the political is personal this is supposed to be a movie about an anarchist seeking justice against an unjust government and a unjust government trying to shut down sedition but then when you get into the meat of it it's all who fucked who and you know it's like it's it's sort of like it's sort of a, a dark version where it's like even in the i mean this anarchist guy at first he seems fucking great he's like he's like fucking japanese jesus over here like he's he's doing his you know what i mean yeah. like he's really like an inspiring figure at first so that you understand why she feels compassion yeah and why she him. like and why she starts to umbrage with him and stuff yeah yeah why she's like gonna be on his side but then he's kind turns out he's kind of an asshole and the guy who seems like an asshole who doesn't really care about anyone is actually kind of yeah, a hero kind of compassionate and, yeah yeah, and, and this idea that these folks who are so desperate are actually the only ones she can look to. They're not bad people. They're actually the only people she can look to. And that this government is willing to just, like, murder them all just to get rid of this Yeah, which they do. Yeah, um, I, yeah. and so I think it's just less... It's it, There's less dynamic tension to the narrative. And for me, that is not needed, but I also think visually it's less striking because what is what what this director and i don't know if it's the same cinematographer uh, or not um no it's a different cinematographer too so i think the the person behind the camera for the first movie is showing us all this action but also showing us conversation and between the camera movement and the way it's framed 
it is engaging even in its quietest moments. This movie is not that. This movie is filmed, I think, a lot more workman style. It's just let's just get it up on the screen, which is weird because the opening it's sequence so is beautiful, fun, yeah. brilliant. It's beautiful, and they never hit that crescendo again. The rest yeah. of the movie, I still am engaged, and I found myself more intellectually engaged by it because I was thinking about well, it's interesting that he's specifically an anarchist, and it's interesting that she sees herself as so apolitical, but you can't. There is no apolitical position. Even the criminals, they, they're completely left out of society. These people are living on the edge. They're not even considered citizens. They're so outside of the world. And even their life is not outside politics. Because just because these people don't want to get in trouble in the public eye, they don't want to be embarrassed yeah. in the public eye, they're going to murder all these people. So I think that, that, that there's that aspect of like, there is no position you can be in in which this political regime is not into your life and a part of your life but also how your personal intrigue then affects that i found all that very interesting but it's not engaging in an entertainment <laughs> sense in the right in the same yeah. way and the only parts that really work is as we said a few times on that opener but i would also say the ending it's a very satisfying ending he so the very end of the movie you know spoiler i guess you didn't see it is uh you know, for the most part, we've felt right. in tragedy here. Everyone is mostly dead, and, you know, what are we going to do? And she finally confronts these final people in, in a scene that is so over-the-top satisfying that it almost yeah. feels like a dream. Well, know, well it's like, the setup is that think the whole world, they world think that over. they killed everybody. They think that they destroyed the document. Right. And so they're going to uh, right. the Naval Day uh, celebration, and as they're walking up the stairs, they're all dressed up, and they have, like, their tuxedos and stuff on and gloves. And then, yep. who do we have but the doctor uh, guy that helped uh, Lady Snowblood. And he's got... Who, by the yeah. way, has the plague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they, they injected the plague into the anarchist who they caught. And then he gets sick and they sent it. I guess they they purposely let him go back to the village. And then, like, now our, our doctor guy who's... Uh, who helped Lady Snowblood in the beginning? Now he's sick with the plague because he took care of the dude who apparently stole his wife. But anyway, and uh, so he's there and he's got the document with him, and she's there, and then it's just a rip roaring hack and slash samurai, and then there's a gun involved. Oh, it's pretty great. I I uh, I love the. Um we're in this old world and someone has a gun and how the fuck are we going to get around <laughs> this gun? I, I always love that. I actually think it's really cool. But I, I just think that whole end sequence, again, you know, it doesn't end on an up note, but uh, but it's it's still pretty satisfying for a movie that is kind of frustrating the rest of the time. I also think when she's when they have her trapped at the palace yeah. and she's fighting her way out of there, that's really yeah, good there's too. A, there's I a world-class eye gouge in there that's pretty awesome. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I think this is this is what I would say, the reason that Lady Snowblood 2 is not the movie Lady Snowblood is, is that, um, you know, our, our main woman here, Maiko Kaiji, she carries Lady Snowblood on her fucking back. The rest of the characters are fine. Everyone is fine. But that movie works because of her. It right. works a little bit because of the newspaper guy. He's he's charming and he's he's compelling. But she is she is Lady Snowblood. The movie right. works. We got this Lady Snowblood too. We got all these other characters, and you know some of them work as well, and some of them don't. But Overall, we yeah, it's just not as compelling. In order for them to be in the movie, we have to see more of them because there's so many yeah. more characters. But the movie only shines 
when she's doing Lady Snowblood shit. Most of the movie, she's not doing any Lady Snowblood shit. She's just like sort of off her game because she gets captured and whatever. I mean, there's a really awesome part where there's a spy. And so she wakes she's, up. She's, yeah, because she like gets she wounded and sick. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she just fucking throws a knife through the roof and gets this guy in the hand. That, yeah. that part was cool. That was into it. You know? And that the whole. The whole village takes part in fucking this dude up, you know? I'm yeah. into that, too. He chops that his own cool. arm off. I'm into that. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, all that is kind of cool. But I guess what it boils down to is that the, um, for me, I like the anarchist character. But they don't do enough yeah. with it. He really, He's just there to be um, sympathetic. And then he is yeah. dead. And then you find out he's an asshole. So like, and well, he's that's like, fine. he's there to be the counterbalance to this uh, this oppressive right. government, right? Like that's if you have this like uh, rote uh, dictatorship, uh, unfair government in place. What is the perfect antithesis of that? And it's like this streetwise anarchist, you know? See, I I disagree. I think he's there to be a counterbalance to the doctor. Oh, him and the doctor, are the yin and the yang basically, of the movie, in that um, the force to which they are responding is the unjust government. But then there's two responses. There's, I don't fucking care. I'm just a criminal. I just want to get money. I just want to look out for my 800 bags of rice. I just yeah. want to look out for my folks here in shit town, you know, outside <laughs> of town. And then there's anarchist dude who's living comfy in his own way. I mean, he's uh-huh. got fucking made, you know, like he's not living too bad, but who is in danger because he cares about something. And what's interesting is that um, what the the movie does two things at the same time in a way that should be diametrically opposed but actually work together. Because the movie says, look, uh, anarchist guy in some ways is doing something better because he is advocating for something. He's advocating mm-hmm. for a stance. And when these criminal types, these sort of outsider types – think that they are not affected by politics because they're where they are that's not true they are affected by it on the other hand it also undeifies him oh you think this guy is so charming and so good and he wants justice all this stuff but like anyone can be a bad person in their personal life so like it, it on one hand makes you think like okay being the dude who's kind of like the rogue almost like Yojimbo type guy who's like not affected by the political. Yeah. Who's like politically aloof. Yeah. That's kind of sexy. Right. But (laughs) the movie says like, yeah, but that guy gets fucked because he didn't care. If maybe he was part of an organization, he could have like done something, but he Ah. he, he can't. And, and he's not a, no one, no one living in that community is above anything because they're below everyone. On the other hand, you can't deify old anarchist McGee over here because uh, he's he's lady stealer, stole his best friend's wife, doesn't give a fuck. While his I mean, best friend friends. was at war. Yeah. So like you know, it's it's a little it's a little bit um, it's a little bit manages to both endorse something of what he's saying and that like you should care about what's happening, but also not lift him up. It sort of says like, look, we're all just humans trying to survive, and in the end, you know doctor guy is kind of a heroic figure you know yeah, yeah, yeah. even though he at times seems like an asshole he still is the one who takes care of his sick friend who stole his wife he still takes care of him uh you know he gets uh, sick and he still goes out to fight those fucking guys yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and ends up and ends up being sort of like his dying breaths like taking care of something so all, all that to say i i think 
those aspects of the movie are really interesting to me, mm. but those are all present in the film, but you have to engage with them abstractly. The actual filmmaking of the film is just not as good. Yeah. And it only shines during like two to three action sequences. <laughs> and the rest of the movie is kind of languid. And, it, and it's a shame because the first film is so much more dynamic and engaged. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. Anyway, what else did you, any other thoughts about the, the second movie? Like things that you particularly disliked or things that you stuck out to you as really cool? Um, I thought that the uh, the settings for when she gets trapped um, at the end, that whole, yeah. all of the things that they have there look so crazy to me that they look like uh, Survive Style 5 or like one of those like modern, like super crazy Asian movies, you know, like all of, like the ornamentation on the walls and like the furniture and like just the weird knickknacks that are around there. They look so insane to me that they're like kind of futuristic, but they're also from 1905. You know what I mean? And like every like the two characters have these crazy mustaches. And uh, I, I don't know. I really like the way that those things looked. But um, and I liked how they contrasted against the favela like uh, like, you know, uh village of 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 miscreants right like i like the contrast of like how those guys just all look like run down and like everyone has like weird rags on their heads and stuff um but uh other than that i i definitely feel like the action sequences are the best parts of the movie and there are not enough of them for me to really engage like not that i'm not engaged in the movie but for me to stay in like you know you're right there's no shining uh, Lady Snowblood moments really except for those scenes you know and um, it's just not enough for me to really really love this movie the way I love the first one I mean I wouldn't say I love it I would say it's fine I'll certainly watch it again it's not like a movie like I can't return to but it's just not as compelling and it's a shame because well again it's a sequel though like I guess I shouldn't be surprised that the sequel to an amazing movie is not itself amazing mm. that's that's the normal. That's what you expect. Right, right, right. Uh, I will say the the big takeaway here that we hit on a little bit, but I want to really sort of like uh, bang that gong, so to speak. Mm. That's not a good thing to say about an Asian person. Uh, that's the racist. So my bad. Uh, the, the the I want to I want to blow that horn. Is that better? right? That's good. That's good. Let's just say uh, I don't know if I'm saying any of these things correctly, but uh, Michael Kaji, uh, who is the star of this, who is Lady Snowblood. Um, it's just a reminder that she is a, actually a very talented actress. And I don't know that she was treated that way. I think she was treated like a pretty face who was popular. But when I look at the series movies she's been in, you know, she was in both Lady Snowblood. Mm. She was in a bunch of the Stray Cat Rock movies. Right. Like a, a bunch of them. She was in the Female Prisoner movies, you know, four of the Female Prisoner movies. She was in the Wandering Ginza Butterfly movies. She was in at least one of or two of the Battles Without Honor and Humanity. She was in Yakuza Graveyard. It's just she has actually quite of interesting film career from a genre perspective. And I don't know that I hear people talk about her. Yeah. I, or at least, you know, neither one of us are deep into the, you know, pinky film world or deep into, you know, uh, genre Japanese stuff. Like we have scraped the surface, but we're not like, like deep, um, deep in it. Know. Yeah. 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 So maybe everyone knows about her and we're just the losers who don't know. What's <laughs> up. But the reality for me is in a general film way, people should be talking about yeah. her because, I think, you know, again, I haven't seen all the Stray Cat movies. I haven't seen all the Scorpion movies. Uh, but having seen a couple of those, having seen Eddie Snowblood, having seen the one um, uh, Battles Without Honor that she's in, 
I think she's really good. And I think it's easy to underestimate her uh, or sort of see her because she was also like a pop star and whatever mm-hmm. that uh, to see her more as like a, just a pretty face. And I just think that's not, that's not fair. Yeah. Uh, and even if, even if that were the case, she wasn't the most dynamic actress. She's at minimum has an amazing choice in scripts because the movies that she's in are great. Yeah. So you would do well to seek her out just because those movies are good. But I think what you'll learn is that she's actually a really great actress. And I mean, especially considering the Snowblood movies, like, dude, she really doesn't talk that much, but she conveys a gigantic range of emotion just from yeah. the way she she plays the character. I think she is definitely the gem of both of these movies for sure. I mean, they're named after her character, yeah. so yeah, duh. Yeah, so you know, this was our this is our winter episode. You know, two episodes of snow, <laughs> two movies of snow. Really good name. thematic thinking. I I think I think. Well, you know, I you know, come on, everyone's doing Christmas episodes right now. Yeah. So this was a good way for us to be thematic, but a little bit different. And but there's really not that much snow in the second movie. <laughs> Honestly, it looks very hot and sweaty the whole movie. Uh, the opening snow scene of the first movie, I think, justifies the yeah, it's so episode. great. So if you haven't had a chance to check out these movies and we didn't, you know, ruin them for you, go go check yep, them out. Yep, that's what we're saying. So uh, hey, thanks for listening. Yeah, to episode eighty nine. Thank you for listening. And if you've been with us this whole time, thank you for sticking around. Uh, as always, we ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to uh, Cinepunks on what, whatever platform you stream your podcasts on. Find us on social media, uh, at Cinepunks Twitter, at Cinepunks Instagram, Facebook.com slash Cinepunks, whatever. I don't yeah. uh, and then, of course, our home on the web, Cinepunks.com, which has all kinds of awesome writing from great writers. We have a lot of stuff going up right now uh, that I think is really cool, so you should check it out. Okay, and thank you very much, and we will catch you next time.